Well, I'm glad to see you today. Wow, it got hot and humid out there, didn't it? I don't know about you, I woke up today and all my windows were kind of like fogged over, you know, with steam, and I said, okay, I know what it's like outside today. Everyone wearing glasses is coming in, you know, and they walk in the door from the outside and, and their glasses steam up, and it's just one of those beautiful summer days down here in South Florida. But I'm glad that you are here. I, I'm, I'm kind of sad a little bit today. Because one of my nephews is getting married in Dallas, Texas today. And like my entire family, my siblings, nieces, everyone's down at the wedding. And I had to stay because I'm in school and I've got a lot of work to do. Plus, I've got a lot of responsibilities. So yesterday, they rub it in by FaceTiming me. And they're all at this wonderful party having a great, and, and I'm going, thanks. Yeah, really, thanks a lot. But it was great to see them, and uh, I know things will go well. And I'm so happy for my, uh, ne- my nephew and uh, uh, his bride, who they get married uh, this afternoon, actually. So it's going to be a great time for them. But today, I have a great time because I get to share with you. And I want to share a message of opportunity for us. We'll talk about God's dilemma and our opportunity. See, God has a dilemma, and we have an opportunity in God's dilemma. And anytime that happens, it's a win for us when we can help God. See, here's God's dilemma. In Genesis chapter 1, we see him create the entire universe, not just the earth, but the universe. And it said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was what? It was good. Now, we, we continue to see through the creation process that God stands back and he creates light and darkness and he creates the land from the, from the waters and everything. And everything, he stands back with this same statement. It says, God saw that what? It was good. Now, his final creation, of course, was, was us, humanity. And so God said, create a man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And then God looked back at everything now that he had created and read it with me. He said, it was, it was what? Very good. Now, now we can just say that and kind of gloss over it, but think about it. God created everything. God created the universe, all the stars and the solar systems and galaxies out there. God created them. And then God created the heavens and the earth. We're zeroing in on where we're at. And think about the earth. Think about it. it's a perfect, it was a perfect ecological system. The intricacy of life that we talked about, I believe it was last week. He just made it all. And he looked back and it was just perfect. Everything set exactly how he designed it. Operating exactly how he intended to operate. And we understand that something terrible happened, right? Right? Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. We know the story of Adam and Eve violating the only prohibition God had set up in all of creation with humanity, not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the good of knowledge, and we went ahead and did it. Now, when that happened, sin not only entered into the world for the one who did it, but sin passed upon all of humanity. 
Now, we, we understand that. We get that. But what some of us don't understand is that it just didn't, sin didn't just impact negatively humanity. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 20 says this. It says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And who was the one who subjected creation? It was humanity. It was Adam and Eve. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What Paul is saying there, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, is that not only did sin impact the human race, sin impacted all of God's creation. It set it all off askew. What was perfect in its creation, what was functioning perfectly, was terribly, terribly marred by sin's entrance into the, into the world, into this experience. Now, God, at that point, could have destroyed humanity and set everything back in its perfect order because humanity was, was the cog, wasn't it? Humanity was the problem. We're the ones that subjected everything else in creation to frustration. So God could have said, you know, I'm going I'm to eliminate that last creative act. I'm going to get rid of humanity and I'll put everything back in its perfect created order. Now, he would have been justified doing that. And as far as all of creation is concerned, it would have been just to them. But I love what it says in Romans 9, verse 22. It says, but what if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath prepared for destruction. Also, now what if God elected to do things maybe by letting his power be known? But he says, he, great, he bore with great patience the objects of his wrath. See, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory. See, what all that says is this, is that God had a choice. God could either default to his omnipotent side, his power side, his justice side, or God could default to his mercy side, his loving side, his forgiving side. That was the choice he had at that moment in time. And we know the choice that he made because in Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Now that, that, that's how it all could have gone. But it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 6 and 8 says, says you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Paul says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. I mean, we, we hear those stories. Last week, we, we celebrated Memorial Day weekend, or was it the weekend before, I guess? That time when we honor all those who, who gave their lives up for our freedom, who paid the ultimate sacrifice. And Scripture says sometimes we hear these stories of how a really amazing person will do something very sacrificial in protection of other people. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, God chose to die for us. Christ died for us. John three sixteen. we know that verse. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. But we, we seldom go on to John three seventeen says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, it's talking about that choice God had to make. And so Paul then concludes in Romans 10, Verses 8 and 9 says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, that's how God decided to resolve his, his issue with humanity. He's had to resolve it by not demonstrating his omnipotence, his power, his wrath. Now, there was consequences for sin, and there still are. But he elected to default to his merciful side, to his loving side, to for his forgiving side. And so every human being, every human being now has a wonderful choice to choose God's forgiveness, to choose eternal life. And we do that simply by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's the only way. And believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And every single human being, every one of us, who will humble ourselves in that way before God and confess that Jesus is the only way and believe everything scripture has revealed about his death and burial and resurrection, God says, that's all I'm looking for. It's just for us to come into that agreement. I'll forgive it all. I'll forgive you of it all. Creation is waiting still until God closes that opportunity for humanity. And, and, and God will close that door one day. But creation waits in expectation for that final man, that final woman, whoever that will be at, whatever time that will be. They wait in expectation of being made right again for that final person to trust Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. In other words, there is a day coming when God says, enough. I've given humanity enough time. I've given humanity enough mercy. 
Now it is time for my justice. And when he does that, he's going to destroy the current heavens and destroy the, the, the earth and lay it bare. But Peter goes on to say in, in chapter 3, 2 Peter 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteous. See, God says, I'm choosing love. I'm choosing forgiveness over wrath. And even though I must bring justice, when I do it, I'm going to create a new heaven. I'm going to create a new earth. And that will be the eternal abode. That will be the eternal home of every man, every woman, who has trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't God pulled the trigger yet? I mean, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus came back from the grave. Why hasn't God brought an end to it all? Are things getting better? Are we getting, as a, as a race, are we getting more holy, more righteous, more pure? Absolutely not. It's crazy to where we're going. Why hasn't God? Peter tells us. Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. God doesn't want anyone to have to experience eternal separation from his love and his protection. That's not his plan for any human being. And so he waits one more day, one more day, one more day, one more day. Now, here's God's dilemma. Romans 10, 14, we, we looked at it last week, I believe. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? God's not willing that anyone should perish. He wants everyone to come to faith. God's dilemma is, how can they do that? How can they call upon? How can they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead if they've never heard about that opportunity? He said, how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? In other words, how are they going to understand that God has defaulted to mercy and not wrath? How are they going to understand that God, just through faith in Jesus Christ, will forgive every sin every human being has ever made? How can they take advantage of that if they never get to hear the story? if they're never exposed to the opportunity. See, that's God's dilemma. Well, God's dilemma, see, here's the good news, is our opportunity. It's our opportunity. How can God resolve his dilemma? Through us. That's our opportunity. We have the power. We have the opportunity right now to help God solve that dilemma. It's through our lives. How? Well, it's 
First, through our witness. We can be the, the ones that tell other people. We can do that overtly. First Peter 2, 9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a nation, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. He's speaking that to every single person who's ever trusted Jesus Christ as his or her savior. He says, you have been now exalted. You have been promoted. You are now a royal people. You're a priesthood. Now, it's not just so we can say, I'm special to God, but it's so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, that's our opportunity. We're the ones God is depending on to tell other people about Jesus. You'll note as a church, if you're around here, and most of you are frequently, most of you here every week that you can be, that at the end of the service, I always end the service the same way. I kind of already used what I usually do at the end in the message this morning because I always bring us to Romans 10, 9, don't I? That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God is ready. matter of fact, some of you go, okay, he's done now. And some of you go, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll quote John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, why do I do that week after week after week after week? Well, first of all, It's to extend a witness, an opportunity for people who come to our service who have never trusted Jesus Christ to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. But there's a second motive that I have in that, and that is to give you the plan of salvation over and over and over and over and over and over and over again so that when God provides you an opportunity, to witness to somebody, you're not going to go, oh, well, I, I, I don't know. All you got to do is think back to Pastor Pete. Pastor Pete all the time. I roll my eyes. talks about Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mind. Yeah, that's why. So that it is indelibly engraved into your mind, into your heart, into your soul. Because God may have a person, a group of people who he is going to use you to solve his dilemma. You to tell them how they can cross from eternal death to eternal life. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16, you are the light of the world. It said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, one of the ways we help God solve his dilemma is through our witness. And some people have the gift of evangelism. There's a gift. And they just... Their witness is always there. They're always talking to people about Jesus. I, I, I know some folks with that gift. And you can hardly have a conversation where they're not bringing it up. But most of us kind of sit in the shadows. 
But we need to, we need to remember that we have an opportunity to help God. How many want to help God? I mean, do you want to help God? Do you want to be special, to do something special for God? Well, one of the ways we can do that is by being a witness. Now, that's verbally, that's being able to share the couple verses that I use over and over again here at the bridge that you should know by now. You should be able to say that. Everyone, quote with me Romans 10.9. Come on, quote with, with me. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everyone here that has, comes at all ought to be able to quote that verse because you hear it every week. So we need to prepare ourselves. We also do it through our transformation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 through 24 says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Now, let me just stop there. All of us had a former way of life, a lifestyle that we embraced before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some of those lifestyles were pretty seedy. Some of them weren't that much different than what they are now. But Paul says, you were taught in, in regard to your former life to put off your old self. Now, that's particularly true for those of us who had really seedy lives. But it's true for all of us. Because there, there, there's parts of our life before we came to faith in Christ that are not beneficial for us, nor are they beneficial for others to whom we're supposed to be a light, a witness for Christ, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. See, that's, that's part of our old self. Say, what is my old self? Well, it's anything that, that, that is trying to pull me away from God and closer to it, or my own desires, my own flesh. So to be made new in the attitude of your mind. See, it's a decision. Say, you know what? I don't want to do those things anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. I want now to live in the newness that God has brought to my life, that Jesus has made an opportunity for, and to put on the new self created to be like who? Like God in true righteousness and holiness. Not just Sunday morning righteousness and holiness, but true righteousness and holiness. First Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, through our transformation, through our continual journey, our continual desire to not live like we used to live, but live like we ought to live, live not out of our old self, but live out of our new self, people should see that change in us. Maybe that's work is that we're not part of the gossip thing around the water cooler anymore. When people start gossiping, we go, I'm sorry, I'm not going to have a part of that. When we used to just be all ears before. Or maybe we curse like a sailor, even though we've never been in the Navy, you know? And all of a sudden we said, you know, 
I'm going to change my mind about that because that's not, that's not honoring to God. That's not part of my new self. Maybe it's telling off-color jokes. Whatever it is, maybe it's more serious things than that. And we say, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. Maybe it's being a more loving husband, a more loving wife. Maybe it's being a, a, a more attentive parent. We change our attitude. And we recognize that the way we were doing life is not so good. It's not so helpful to us. It's not so helpful to people around us. And it's certainly not helpful to the cause of God. And so, so, so but when I start transforming, when I start this journey of transformation, people are going to notice that. And many people open the door to the gospel of Jesus Christ by the transformation of their family members and of their friends. See, so we can help God in his dilemma by Allowing people to see a change of attitude, a change of heart, a change of behavior, a change of lifestyle. Not only that, we can do it through our service. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. When humanity was created and God stepped back and said, it's good. Remember, humanity wasn't just there to frolic through the garden. We were there to work. God put Adam and Eve in charge of creation. They were to manage the earth. They were to, fulfill, they were to fill the earth with other human beings. See, God created us not just to enjoy life, but God created us to have a purpose, to do acts of service. That's why we were created. That's what we'll do in eternity. We're not just going to frolic around on clouds. We're going to have opportunities. We're going to have responsibilities. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here. In its context, it's talking about our spiritual gifts. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, God gifts us. He gives us spiritual gifts, at least one. Most of us have more than one spiritual gift. And if you don't know what yours are, you ought to go by our Next Step booth because we have a program to help you to find out what your spiritual gift is. We can have you do an inventory and help you find out what your gifts are. And in its context, Peter's saying that whatever our gift is, whatever we find our gift is, we shouldn't just use it for ourselves. We should use it in service to other people. Now, let, let, me, let me take a little bit of liberty here. Because I believe the intent behind this goes just beyond our spiritual giftedness, but our natural giftedness. Every one of us have natural gifts. And we see them playing out from the time we're children. I, I, I remember natural athletes. 
There are people who have natural athletic ability. And you see it. I mean, I didn't have it. I developed athletic ability, but I didn't have natural athletic ability. You know, I, I was one of the kids in, you know, T-ball that were out in right field picking grass and putting it in my glove. Yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea what was going on out there, you know? I didn't have natural athletic ability. But there were kids my very same age, man, that were whipping around that infield and going down and catching balls and throwing balls and everything, and they'd get up to that bat and they'd knock that ball out into the outfield. I mean, they just had natural ability. Some of you have natural ability in handiwork. You, you can fix things and you can repair things. and th th That's one of your gifts. Some of you have natural administrative skills. You're a great administrator. Some of you are natural people. Uh, people. I mean, you, you know what a people person is? People person is, you, you can walk up to anybody and have a conversation. You don't need a formal introduction. And they'll, they'll be attracted to that conversation. But we all have natural abilities. And we use those to earn a living. We use those as some sense of self-satisfaction and fulfillment in life. But we need to use them for service to the Lord. What is your natural ability? What is it? Answer it in your own mind right now. And then answer the question, how are you using that ability for the advancement of the kingdom of God? See, that, that's what Peter's talking about. Then, what is your spiritual giftedness? What is your spiritual gift? Which one or once has the Holy Spirit given you? Well, if you say, I have no idea, well, then you probably ought to go to Next Step booth and take that spiritual gift inventory. But if you do, and you do know what your gift is, it's a gift of hospitality. It's a gift of teaching. It's a gift of service. It's a gift of prayer. It's a gift of evangelism. It's a gift of giving. If you do know what your spiritual gift is, how are you using it to serve others? That's what it's for. It's not to say, well, you know, God gave me the, the gift of giving, or God gave me the gift of teaching. No, it's to use that gift in service to others, because by doing that, we attract them to God. Finally, we do it through our sacrifice. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. See, there's a purpose behind giving. It's so that the work of the Lord can go forward. That's what he says by food in my house. He's talking about, in this sense, in the Old Testament, he's talking about the temple of God. He says, now bring the whole tithe. What's the tithe? Tithe is 10%. Now, that's a sacrifice. Now, once you become a tither, you realize it's really not. It's a joy. But that's 10%. And most people go, 10%? That's more than a sacrifice. That's a burden. And it's really not. Let me tell you why not. Because God will make the 90% that you have left go further than you could have made the 100% go on your own. I promise you that. I guarantee it. See? But he says, we need to sacrifice because we're the family of God. We, we, we need to take care of each other. And we need to make sure... That, that people out there are hearing about God, hearing about Jesus Christ, because God has a dilemma. He can't do it himself. He's using us. 
to be his mouthpiece. He says, now test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. That's the only place in the Bible that says that. And it's in our sacrifice to the Lord. Luke 16, verse 10 through 11. Jesus had just given a parable about a landowner trusting some of his managers with responsibility. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, he's, he's talking about if we do not demonstrate that we can handle a little bit and be faithful and sacrificial with a little bit, why would we think God is going to open the floodgates of heaven and give us a lot? I've heard people say so many times, well, no, I don't tithe, Pastor, but, but I'll tell you what, if God allows me to win the lottery, I will tithe. If God lets the publisher's sweet house people come to my, one of those big, I'll tithe. And I don't say it because I would never want to, to quash anyone's spirit of generosity. But I'm thinking in my mind, no, you won't. Because I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. I've seen it play out in my life. If I wouldn't give God a dollar out of 10, I promise you, I'm not giving him $100,000 out of a million. It's just not in my nature. I'm not there. I, I wouldn't have that kind of faith. So God says, if you are seen to be able to be trustworthy with a little bit, then I'll up the ante. I'll give you a little bit more. Because I know you'll be faithful. When I see you're faithful with that, I'll give you a little bit more. Second Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's God's formula. That's how God works. But it's not just a financial relationship that God is talking about. The purpose, once again, behind our sacrificial giving of our tithes, of our offerings, of our mission support, of our time, is so that there might be food in God's house, so that God's word can get out to the world. See, God's dilemma is our opportunity. Revelation twenty-two, twelve. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to that he has done. Will you make God's dilemma your opportunity? Let me say, ask that again. Will you make God's dilemma your opportunity through your witness, through your transformation, the changes in your attitude, the changes in behavior that you're constantly striving to make, through your service, where are you serving and how are you using your gifts and your talents for the Lord? Finally, through your sacrifice, through your giving. Psalm 53, 2. Reminds us this, God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands. To see if there's anyone who's actually seeking God. 
God's always looking. He's always scanning. He's always saying, hey, do you get it yet? Do you understand it yet? Do you understand that I've got a dilemma that I need your help with? Do you understand that you can help me solve the dilemma of making sure that every person on planet Earth gets to hear the gospel? Do you understand you can do that through your, through your witness? You need to be able to somebody's ready to trust Christ as their, their Savior, you need to be able to know how to do that through your transformation. Do they see Christ in you through your service? Everyone ought to be serving the Lord in some capacity and through our sacrifice. God's dilemma is my opportunity. God's dilemma is your opportunity. If we in our hearts say, man, God, I want to please you. God, I want to make you happy. God, I want to do something to show you my devotion to you. There it is. Father, we thank you that you would use us to help you in your dilemma. God, help us to understand, help us to own that you're in love with humanity. You could have chosen over and over again to destroy humanity. You have that power. But you have always defaulted to your mercy, not your wrath. God, thank you that that's the kind of God you are. God, help us to understand, though, that even in your omnipotence, because sin is in this world and you can't have any fellowship, any presence with sin, that you have a dilemma. You have made the path to eternal life through Jesus Christ readily available to anyone. But they can't make themselves in a position where they can take advantage of that if they never hear about it. And how do they hear about it? They hear about it through us, through the spoken word, through our example through our sacrifice, through our service. Lord, help us to reevaluate those four areas of our life this morning. Help us to understand that it's a wonderful opportunity that we have before us. Help us to avail ourselves of that to greater levels every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.